You know, guys, it's an interesting thing for me when I get to interview athletes that have competed at the highest level because it reminds me of my childhood. As you guys have, you know, followed my journey here, followed the show, you know, I've had many athletes that have joined the show that, you know, competed when I was younger. And so it kind of is a nostalgic feeling for me. Well, today it's no different. Bringing on a former NFL quarterback that you guys are going to love his story. You know, we're talking about his, his optimist football days. We're talking about his high school football days. We're talking about his collegiate football days and all the way into the professional level, um, as well as what he's doing with his business. And part of this show is to kind of explain to everybody how sports can translate into your regular life. You can learn a lot of principles through sports that you can translate into your business world, in your business life, your, your marriage, and so forth. And you're going to see that naturally through this conversation, just the different things that you learn throughout competing that you can transfer into your regular life. We're going to learn about his business ventures. Uh, this is going to be an amazing interview. I hope you guys all enjoy it. If you're following me on YouTube, you'll notice that I'm starting to put some stuff off in the background so it's not just a blank wall. But uh, if you're not following me on YouTube, go to YouTube and help me grow that channel as well. I'm also going to be adding more to my blog. So if you go to blog.thegametimeguru.com, you're going to be able to follow some of the stories. I'm going to start posting more content there, just some of the lessons that I've learned through doing this podcast over the last six and a half years. Uh, I'm just grateful for every one of you guys for tuning in. Uh, I would appreciate any kind of support by sharing the podcast, but I hope you guys buckle up and get ready to take some notes for today's interview. This is the Game Time Guru. So, what time is it? Game Time Boost! This is the Game Time Guru podcast, where I interview sports figures from all over the world to help deliver a panoramic view on sports. So whether you're a former athlete, one of the crazies, or simply a casual sports fan, this is the perfect show for you as we peel back the curtains and learn from our guests every single week. I'm your host, Shane Larson, and I'm helping you see sports through a different lens. What's up, everybody? Welcome out to another episode of the Game Time Guru Podcast. My name is Shane Larson, host of the show, six and a half years running, uh, and we are now crossed over 300 total episodes. Just super excited to be here with you guys. Weekly episodes. If you're new to the show, just know that the, the rundown of this podcast is I interview sports figures on a weekly basis. Every Friday, we're posting a new interview where you can learn from our guests, the ins and outs. We learn about their story. We learn about anything that they're doing and they share their, their knowledge with us. So if it's your first time listening to the show, welcome aboard. I'm, I'm glad to have you with us. We're in 180 countries, all 50 states at the time of this recording. And it's thanks in large part to everybody who's listened and shared or just been part of the podcast. So I just want to say thank you to everybody who's been part of it. Today's another super special interview for me. Um, there's some Idaho ties to this. So some people might listen to this and be like, how in the world did you get this guest on your show? But there are some Idaho ties. Like I've always known who this guy is since the time I was a little kid, just because of the, the ties here locally to where I live, which is in the Treasure Valley of Idaho, which is the surrounding area of Boise. Um, and it's just interesting because... You know, growing up, I played a, it was called Optimus football, which is like Pop Warner or Pee Wee football and stuff. And my second year of tackle football, they opened up this brand new like facility, like not facility, it was like this whole new area of Optimus. We used to play at Capitol High School and then we outgrew it because the Little League football is getting too big. And like everyone was talking about Jake Plummer helped with this and Jake Plummer's helped with that. His name comes up all the time. So it's interesting because I've known Jake just in the back of my mind then watching him play football has been an amazing thing for me so i'm glad to bring on a former nfl quarterback former you know idahoan like capital high school guy arizona state guy and now a businessman entrepreneur like everything uh his name is jake Plummer, as i said before uh jake thanks so much for joining the show man hey right on shane thanks for having me man that's cool you bring up 
uh, that, that Optimus field. That's where my mom, she still goes down and walks down there every day and walks by the sign and, uh, you know, made a donation to help secure a space where these kids could still go and play and pursue their dream and uh, not have to, like when I played Optimus, we'd go to the fairgrounds and we play on the part on the, the grass that was also used as a parking lot. So, you know, we had to comb the field before the game and pick up bottles and cool, uh, bottle caps and anything that could cut you or hurt you. And, uh, you know, it's come a long ways and that facility is really cool. So thanks for bringing that up because that was definitely, you know, something you do and to hear that you played there and, and so many other youngsters have played there is really cool. Absolutely, man. It's wild because like I was part of the, the transitioning group that went from the one to the next. Like, and I remember our very first game. I know exactly what happened in that game too. Is second yeah. year of tackle football and just like how it was so different. The the energy out there was different. It's just a wide open field with multiple fields, and it was like it was beautiful. Now they've even like expanded that since since back then. It's just wild to see the growth of football. But yeah, and then what's funny, Jake, is is I grew up. I, I went. I'm a Meridian High School grad, class of 06. So playing at Capitol High School, the conversation was always like, dude, Capitol's got this sick scoreboard in the middle of their gym. Like, and then everyone's like, oh, well, I heard Jake Plummer donated towards it or whatever. It's like, your name always came up somewhere. So it like, yeah, it was whether it was, it was <laughs> Optimus football or was playing against Capitol High School, your, your, your name was there. So I want to kind of rewind the, the clock a little bit, Jake, and kind of go back in time with you. You know, obviously we're going to get to your NFL experience, kind of learn about your, your journey and then, you know, business ventures and whatnot. But let's rewind the clock. You talked about Optimus football. Uh, from my understanding, you were a multi-sport athlete, but at what point did you like start playing football and actually taking it seriously? Was it Optimus? Was that the first time playing? And, and you know, talk to us about that when you actually started getting into sports. And was there an influence of parents or a, or a player that you followed when you were a little kid? Yeah, you know, it's funny you say you, you, I, I was a multi-sport athlete. I still am, uh, even in this day and age and even when I was playing uh, whether it was ASU or in the pros, you know, for me, man, the off season was basketball. I loved playing hoops. It was a great way to condition. It was a great way to stay active, to build camaraderie, to compete. And people would nowadays like, oh, my God, I don't even go near the hoops court because if I get hurt, you know, there goes my career. Like, what? Like, football is going to take this away from me? Like, I'm sorry. It took enough stuff away from me that I'm not going to allow it to take – something like that away. So even, even during the, my time playing in the, at the highest level, I was playing handball, playing basketball, uh, you know, being active, mountain biking, doing a lot of stuff in the off season. And, you know, Optimus was my first, uh, you know, time to go into organized football. And, and, you know, the reason I was able to go play was I told my mom, you know, Hey mom, you know, you don't want me to play tackle football, but I'm, I'm playing it at recess without pads. So if I wear pads, I'm going to be safer or a little more safe. And so she let me go play. And, um, you know, that was just one sport. Even throughout my high school career, like by the time football was done, it was like, okay, good, that's over. I can let my body heal and start playing hoops. By the time hoop season was coming into an end, it was like, oh, sweet. Where's my mitt? I can't wait to go play baseball. And so I've always enjoyed all sports. And that really was my brother's influence. You know, we were constantly playing. I'd come home from football practice and we'd go up and shoot hoops. Or I'd come home in the winter and if it was a warm day, sometimes we'd get those in Boise. You know, I the mitts would be sitting out. The baseball mitts would be sitting out. So we'd be throwing the baseball during basketball season. And it's like kids do that now, but it's 
all organized. It's all scripted. It's all with a coach. And I think that's good, but it's also, it's fun to be free sometimes. Uh, my summers were spent in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho from the fifth grade on. And I wasn't up there with a QB guru working on my drop and my follow through and reading coverages. Man, I was playing hoops at the city beach against grownups and holding my own and learning like, all right, this is what it takes to compete, you know, and like learning a lot about myself. At the, at the same time, while I was playing tennis with my brothers or handball or hacky sack or ping pong or mountain biking or all, you, I mean, you name it. You don't have to play your sport to get better at it. All sports will hone your hand-eye coordination and challenge you to excel. And so, yeah, man, I've been a fan of the multiple sports my whole life. I encourage kids to do that, even if they don't make the team, at least go shoot hoops or try to participate in something other than just one sport. Man, that's that's awesome news. And that's what I try to like tell the kids that I coach. I coach basketball, the 17-year-olds at the club level. So I try to, I t try to tell these kids – you know, something similar, you know, like get out there and do some other things. But like you said, it is pretty much always organized. That's a very interesting take because even from the time, you know, I'm, I'm a few years younger than you. I'm 34. <laughs> so, but like yeah. even then, even then, um, it seems like things have changed quite a bit. Like everything you're saying there, I can resonate with a lot of that. Like I, I can relate, to, I should say, to, to a lot of that. And um, it's changed quite a bit. Yeah. I was a kid too. Specialization is a tough thing because – um, I don't think I would have been the quarterback I was in, at the college level and the pros without my diversification from other sports. Um, it taught me to be aware of my surroundings, which in any sport, you need to know what's around you. And then also just the competition and, and, the, and the, the variation. Like I never, I never got tired of my sport because I was always in, in dabbling in other things too. And, uh, you know, it reminds me about something that's coming up uh, June 3rd in Boise at Bishop Kelly High School, the Jake, the, the Plumber Family Skills and Thrills Challenge. And so we, we created a camp. It's a free camp. One day, kids come and we introduce them to badminton, ping pong, one wall handball. We play bump. We play games. We don't play the sport that they're used to in an organized fashion, but we instead get creative in, in, in the game and make it uh, different and fun. And one of the stations is always just like a bunch of stuff set out and we let the kids create a game themselves or invent a different type of game themselves. And my thought behind it is just to allow these kids an opportunity to get off your phone, get out of your house, get off your couch and, in, and introduce a game into your neighborhood or your family or whatever it is. And, and something that will help you, you know, kind of sometimes break away from the, the constant progression of getting better and honing your craft and, practicing your craft and getting into the cage when you're 12 years old, like what the hell, man, 12 year olds should be playing can jam or cornhole or horseshoes or trampoline dodgeball or something else besides honing your craft. Cause that's how we create burnout. That's how we create stress. That's how we create kids never living up to the expectations of the coach or the guru or their dad or whatever. And instead we teach them how to enjoy the game and the nuances of it and, and really have a love for sport in general and game in general. That way, you know, the game means something more than just winning and losing and being the best. Yo, man, this is wild. Like I'm like getting chills just listening to you talk, <laughs> man. And I, I know I'm trying to like not fanboy right now, but I'm like, man, this is it's so perfect. Um, yeah, cool. And it's funny you mentioned can jam and all that stuff too. Cause I was just talking to one of the players that I coached <laughs> last night. He's finishing up his basketball season now. Like this will be his last tournament that he plays in an organized basketball capacity. And 
we were talking about what's going to happen after high school. And he was talking about spike ball. He's like, yeah. you should get into some spike ball turns. I'm like, dude, you should be doing that anyway right now. Like spike ball is one of my favorite things in the world. <laughs> That's true. But any of those, man, like, yeah, hacky sack, you know. Who hacky sacks anymore? I mean, it's just that that's a great workout and it, it's a great foot eye coordination and it's fun, man. You know, you can do it out in a park. You don't need anything but a little hacky sack and some friends. Yeah, dude, totally, totally. Well, Jake, as you get into like your high school career, right? As you, as you know, you're playing multiple sports like we were just talking about and, you know, even the traditional sports, basketball, to my understanding, it was basketball, baseball and football, right? Yep, if if yep. those ones. Mm -hmm. Okay, so. As you were getting into high school, this is what's interesting to me is like being around the high school athletics now, especially in Idaho, the competition at the next level is quite a bit different than Idaho athletics. So for you going from a high school in Idaho to then a division and not only just a division one, a pretty, you know, very like it's a very well known division one school in Arizona State and actually competing very well and and playing at a very high level there too. I guess my biggest question would be, how did you prepare for that jump? Because all these athletes, they think they've got it and they even struggle with the jump to go to junior colleges because yeah. the, the competition is so much higher. So I guess my question is, how did you prepare for that jump to the division one level to not just be there, but actually compete at the high, high level of that spot? Yeah, I mean, that was really, if you want to talk about the summer, that was the first summer I actually spent you know, <laughs> working, working out uh, football specific. Now it didn't, doesn't mean the weight room. I didn't hit a weight room until I got to college. Um, you know, I felt like the weight room was a waste of my time to be an athlete. And I did other things, chin-ups, push-ups, jumped rope and rode my bike. And I was active all the time. So I didn't, I didn't really get into the weight room until I got to college. Um, but you know, that I think what gave me a lot of confidence was going to the Stanford quarterback receiver camp before my senior year and being from Idaho um, I was mentioned in some magazines a couple but very few of these publications that were you know touting the the, the top guys in the in, in high school coming out I wasn't amongst that and I didn't know that I had the ability to go to that next level but I knew like that I love the game and I was like right now I'm Football is probably my ticket to get an education, you know, to not have to have my parents pay for my school to actually get a scholarship and be able to go and, and get an education. Uh, my dream was still alive to be in the NFL and win a Super Bowl. I mean, that's what was at the far, far reaches. But along the way, there were steps that I had to take. And, you know, one of them was obviously even stepping onto the field as, as in varsity. Um, I was in the sophomore team getting my ass kicked. We had a horrible team. And uh, I went to – I threw two – completions in a game against Nampa and those were both interceptions and I got sacked like 13 times and beat to hell and coach Vogel you know uh you know bless his soul and and, and we lost him last year and what a great coach he was for so many kids he pulled me up to the varsity as a, as a sophomore and I thought wow I'm on varsity now I'm playing like crap but I'm on varsity but he did it to save me from getting hurt and to help me to not like to, to avoid hating the game because it was it wasn't fun and it wasn't <laughs> football the way I wanted to play. And so that was a confidence boost. And then getting to be able to start as a junior, win a state title and then, then losing the state title my senior year. Um, you know, that Stanford camp really back to that was like when Bill Walsh grabbed me and, you know, eight other or nine other guys from that camp uh, quarterbacks and took us to a room and like specifically focused on coaching us. It was like, whoa. Here's Bill Walsh. I mean, Bill Walsh. 
<laughs> Coach Joe Montana, one of the most clutch quarterbacks you'll ever meet and a great player and like a good dude. He's he see, he sees me as a as level with these other guys that are four star recruits and blue chip all Americans and all this. It really was a confidence boost to say, okay, I'm there's something here. I mean, I've got something if I just keep playing hard and be a leader and do my thing. So that was really big. And then getting recruited after that, you know, I got recruited by a lot of colleges all around the country. That was a confidence boost. And if these, you know, the big, biggest schools that I've been watching on Saturdays are now sending me letters and recruiting me, I figured I had a chance, you know, I had a chance to play at that next level, or at least I had the talent. And I knew all along, I, you know, confidence in myself but then when ASU recruited me and Bruce Snyder said you know we, we you're a huge integral part of what we're trying to build here and that's a national championship team um, that was really the boost I needed and the confidence I needed to know okay I can go to this next level I'm not scared of this and when I got there it was a whole new learning process man I learned about cover three and cover two and then all kinds of other things that I didn't know anything about in high school I was just balling and it was uh it was it was challenging, but again, it was the level wasn't the same as going to, to the next level of Pac-10 at the time. Uh, but I was able to to raise my game, and uh, you know, had support from my brothers and my family, and just had that confidence in myself, and uh, you know, worked my ass off really. No, I love hearing that, man. That's super cool. And you know, the I, it's funny because when I talk to like high school athletes right now that are like going into high school, they'll be like, man, just from like the pop Warner to the high school level is even a, a transition. Cause they always talk about the speed of the game. And yeah. I've talked to professional athletes like yourself and they always talk about the speed of the game. So going from high school to college, you talked about cover threes and all the different coverages that you had to deal with, but outside of like maybe the speed of the game and, and the game itself, what would you say is the biggest transition going from high school to being a student athlete in college? Was it the schedule and having to go to school and all the stuff and get, you know, be disciplined? Like, what would you say, Jake, was your biggest transition going into college? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the main thing, you know, for me, it was just like I was just eager and, and excited. Like I'm coming into camp. I'm competing for the number two job. And here I am. And this is what I'm doing. And it was never hard for me to go work. It was never hard for me to, to strap it on and, and get ready and, and practice really the same that I would play. I didn't really have a practice speed and a game speed. Like when I was going at it, I was doing it. And that was even, even, you know, so much as a competing playing Yahtzee, you know, like I'm in it, you know, 100%. And so, uh, you know, the biggest thing really is accountability, you know, and if you can feel the importance of what your role is, not only to yourself, but what you have to honor for your team and what people are expecting of you, um, you know, that, that, that those expectations create either, a, um, you know, resentment where you back away and feel like too much or your accountability becomes even more like, okay, I got to ASU and I already automatically felt a sense of like, I think we can be better than we are. And, uh, you know, I went to ASU too, because I had not heard about ASU at all. I mean, the only time I'd seen ASU Sun Devils was in the fifth grade when Jay Bradley got sent home because he had the Sun Devils shirt on or then the fourth grade. And our teacher said, you can't wear a shirt that says the devil's name on it. And I send him home to change his shirt. So yeah, that wild. was the <laughs> only thing I could remember is like the Sun Devils. I'd never heard of them in the top 10 or top 25. And I was like, I always felt like if I go somewhere, I want to leave a, a lasting like impression. Like I want to go and turn around a program rather than just be another 
another guy that came through on a national championship caliber team that, you know, maybe he was good, maybe he wasn't. But when I went to ASU, it was really to try to turn that program around. And when I left, wanted it to be uh, in good hands and, and, and progressing. And sure enough, we did that. Um, but yeah, getting there to compete and be accountable and then to balance what, what life is like when you're not, you know, your mom's not there to, to back you up or your, your grandma doesn't live across the street to make you a meal because your mom's working, you know, like you had to take accountability and grow up. So that was really a challenge, but it was like, I met that with, all right, cool. I'm here and here's my opportunity. And, uh, I want to turn this place around. So my work ethic was really what got me through, um, when it was time to run sprints, I was running them 100%, whether it hurt or I was tired or not. And that became infectious. And then more guys stepped up and more tone setters were not afraid to step up and say, let's go, you know, and maybe not even say a word, but just step up and go no matter what. If it was 6 a.m. mat drills or they were making us get up and work our asses off in the morning. Okay. All right, coach. You're going to do this to me? Well, I'm going to I'm going to spite you by going harder than you could ever imagine. You know, that was my way to yeah. get back at them. Instead of being mad and pouting and not working hard, it was like, okay, I'll work harder. And they loved it because, you know, I was able to set that tone. And sure enough, as guys started joining in, you know, by the time my senior year came around, we, we, we knew we had a team. We knew we were going to do it. We were going to put in the work and we were going to put in, make the effort. And we loved and cared about each other. And so it was a learning process. Um, even to go through our sophomore year being three and eight and, and questioning why the hell I'm putting in all this effort. Like, why would I want to do this when we're three and eight and we get seven guys drafted and we're three and eight? Like, what the hell? I, I can't be working and not have everybody with me. And that's when my mom said, you just keep doing what you're doing and you'll know people will join you. Don't don't give up. Just keep doing what you're doing. And so sure enough, we did. And, and that 96 season was remarkable. So wild. Like it's taking me back to my like early childhood because I was born in 88 and um, I remember like this is when I started watching football is when I was like seven, eight years old. So I know I know like what you're talking about because it brings me back to my seven, eight year old times of nice. like, watching Saturday football and stuff. And it's just super, super cool. Um, so back then, it, it, what's also interesting, you, you've talked about a couple things. I, I take notes when I, whenever you're talking, like I, I have my phone out and I'm taking notes cool. on it. And uh, I would encourage anybody to do the same thing because I'm like. If you're listening to a podcast or an audio book, take notes. Like it's, it's, you can get some golden nuggets out of it. But one of the things you mentioned, Jake, was that you always stayed active. So that was a little earlier. You said, you know, you didn't hit the weight room in high school, but you always stayed active. You were always doing something active. And then you talked about your work ethic in college. Like staying active was huge. So that was one of the things that stood out to me that you're talking. is like you always were active. So you gave 100%. You led by example, even when things were tough. And that kind of got you through and it, it, it helped you build. I think so many in today's world, we have an instant gratification mindset. Like everybody just wants that instant gratification. They don't want to put in the grind because they can't see the reward at the end of it. I mean, it's never guaranteed, but they don't want to, they don't want to keep going. And that's, it's cool that your mom had shared that with you. First off, yeah. uh, everyone listen to your moms if it, like, or, a, or, a, or a parent, but I would say like, my mom always gives me good advice. Even if I don't agree with it at the time, it always ends up being right. Um, and Jerry Stackhouse actually once said the same thing. So that's what's funny to me. That, that's a common theme. Yeah. Now, I do want to ask because, oh, yeah, the other thing you said was you wanted to make, you know, a lasting impact. You want to make an impact. So Max Clark, who is a local kid who who played football here, he he's now at Arizona State. I think he's, you know, low on the depth chart, but he's still there. He's still yeah. part of the program stuff. And he took a picture the other day and posted it on Instagram. And there's a couple quarterbacks on that that wall in there, and you're one of them. 
Uh, yeah. And so I would, I would, I would say that you definitely made an impact there because Jake Plummer's name and picture is up on that big old wall. He's in the quarterback room, and that's you, you definitely made an impact. So I saw Max a couple weeks ago when I was down there, and, and uh, yeah, I just encouraged him to to keep doing his thing, man. Do whatever else you can do if you need to be a holder or learn how to punt or whatever, man. Like that's all I ever tried to do was as much as I could, and and you know, and some. And uh, it's cool. Capital High grad kid from Boise followed the uh, kind of like Taylor Kelly, you know, Taylor watched me growing up and went down and had a phenomenal career down there. Um, but yeah, man, I, I'm still shocked when I go out into the field and see my name up on the building. It's still kind of like, whoa, can't we just put 96 Sun Devils on there instead of my name alone? Because that was like that was my team, you know, and the guys helped yeah. me get up there. But it's definitely an honor. And it's cool to hear a little you know, kid like Max is down there and following his dream. Super cool, man. It's just wild. Like all these little <laughs> random connections go full circle. So Jake, if you look back in your college experience, a lot of it ups, downs and everything in between, I guess, what would you say is your top memory, like your favorite memory or favorite game from playing at Arizona state? Um, gosh, it's hard to pick just one. You know, we had so many great games. Um, some of the ones we lost were the best to, to, to motivate us to get better. Um, you know, twice losing to the U of a at the last, in the last game, when we knew if we won, we were going to a bowl game. You know, that was really hard. Um, losing some quarterback coaches every year. I mean, I had four different QB coaches in four years. Um, you know, when Hugh Jackson left, I was just, yeah, it was hard. And Bobby Petrino. And, you know, I'm saying names or people are like, wait a sec, that was your quarterback coach? Yeah, they were NFL head coaches. So, like, I got them early in their career when their knowledge, they were, they were working with me. So, I learned so much at ASU and how to play football how to be a quarterback, how to work my drills, um, you know, but the, 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 the one that really stands out the most is probably Nebraska. Uh, you know, we were, we'd beaten Washington and we had an easy game against, I think, UTEP the next game at home. And here comes Nebraska, who we had played the year before and they beat us like, I don't know what the score was, 56 to, to 21 or 28, I can't remember. But listen to that second one, 28. Like, we put up some points on them, and it wasn't cleanup points. I mean, we I took my team down a few times and scored. So we weren't scared of them offensively. We just didn't have the defense yet. So changes we made, a couple of players that came in, Derek Rogers most notably, changed the tone on defense. And so we went into that game pretty confident. What really stood out was the fact that it was a sea of red going to the game. We had a team players only meeting the night before because in our heart of hearts, we even felt like maybe that our coaches weren't even there to believe that we could pull this off. And we as players, we knew. And and what a special time that was to have a team players only meeting, to ride the bus to the stadium and have the whole team just like at the windows screaming and cussing because it was like a sea of red. It was like, where's our fans? Who believes in us? We really felt like we were alone, even in our own stadium. The night was a really special night to dedicate the field to Frank Cush. But it was, again, we're honoring the past. Like, what about the present, you know? And so I had a huge moment in the locker room before the game where I, I basically defiled the program and cussed out, like, who is this Frank Cush dude? Some old mother, you know what? We're honoring him. Like, tonight's about making history, and we're going to whoop. We're going to make history tonight, us. Tonight, they're going to remember this because of us beating Nebraska. 
And I told Frank that story and he loved it. You know, he was, he was a coach that loved fire. So he loved my fire, but that game going out there and, and, and shutting them out and really finally letting people know like, wow, this team's for real. Like these guys are players. And then we still had to keep proving ourselves. You know, we, we had, we had remarkable games against USC, triple overtime, UCLA. We were down by 21 plus came back and beat them. That was another one of my most fond memories, you know, leaving that stadium and having the bus driver stop and have everybody turn around, look at the Rose Bowl and say, hey, we're coming back here. Don't forget it. We still got work to do, but this is where we're going to end up. And, and sure enough, it happened. So those were that year was amazing. I still talk about it today, even though we lost the Rose Bowl. Um, but man, what a phenomenal year. And really, the Nebraska game really was, I think, the, the, the launching point for our team. I was now a Heisman candidate. And the focus now was on, whoa, who are these Sun Devils? And we had, we had a great team, man. Out of those 22 starters, I want to say 17 or 18 of them actually spent time in an NFL camp. And, and a, a, a handful or two spent a considerable amount of time playing in the league. So we had a great team. Bruce Snyder assembled an amazing cast of characters and talented individuals that uh, coached well, loved each other, and we played our asses off. Yo, that's so cool. That is so cool, man. Like, I love stories like that. That's the whole point of this show is to kind of learn from people, kind of see what it was like to be part of that squad. That yeah. is awesome, man. You know, Jake, as you go from, you know, you kind of hit the, the peak there. You know, you, you, you're hitting your goals in college, and you guys had gotten out of the, the tough years, and you had, you know, you're, you're getting there. But now the transition comes to the NFL draft, and you're getting into the professional world. And sometimes that transition is exciting because now – now money's involved and sometimes a lot of it, you know, so there's a whole nother aspect of life that's starting now. Um, now school's done, which is great for a lot of people are like, ah, yeah. So here's the thing though, uh, from my understanding, I, I've talked to a lot of people in the last six and a half years, including Lee Steinberg, who yeah. you're, you, you know, um, I had, I had Lee on the show and talked with him about some of the people he's um, worked with and just the, he said there's a lot of people that struggle with that transition going into the professional world because it's exciting. It's typically what everybody's goal is, is to make it to the NFL if they're competing at that level. But then once they get there, can they stay out of trouble? Do they know how to manage their money? Who do they trust with their money and all the other things they've got to deal with? Insurance, you know, financial advisors, agents, this, that, and the third, you know, family members who need, you know, think they need to get some money out of them and all this stuff, like all the things. And then you got to play the game yeah. and you got to compete at a high level and there's an additional pressure. So we talked about your transition to the college game. What was the biggest transition to the professional game for you? Man, I think the main thing was just um, understanding that I'm here and I'm, I'm here and I can do this. You know, that was really along with what you said and managing life outside the game. That was obviously had its challenges. Um, but, you know, for me, I had a lot of good people around me and a lot of people I could trust. One of them being Lee Steinberg and, and a guy who worked for him, Dave Dunn, who, who I worked with a lot, uh, was my agent also. And, uh, you know, I had people in place that helped me, you know, just navigate that, that, that new now, not just a, a 10 or 11 week season, but a 16 week season. And not even just 16, it's like 20 almost because you're playing preseason games also. So it was a big jump, but it was really nice to have to, to stay in Arizona. At first, I, I wanted out of there. And then after I got drafted and I didn't even have to really worry about moving, it was a simple transition. I had a huge already 
um, group of support around me with my ASU connections and the coaches and the players that were still there. So, you know, I wasn't alone in a new city trying to navigate that along with a playbook and the pros and cashing checks and doing all that stuff. I had people around me that helped me. So that was a blessing. Um, the biggest jump for me was just understanding that I could play at the next level. And it all kind of came to in the preseason, we were playing the Raiders and I got to go in and play. And I was just like, I, I was out of my mind. I didn't know. Oh my God, I couldn't slow it down. It was too much. And it, one of my old teammates, Trey Junkin, who'd been in the league a long time, he came over and was like, you okay, man. And I said, Oh man, it's crazy. I just like it's too, it's fast. I don't know what I'm doing. He's like, just picture yourself playing against a team in college. And so what I did was I went out, I was in Sun Devil Stadium, my home. You know, I've been there for four years and I thought, all right, the USC Trojans are wearing silver and black today. It's just, it's just USC Trojans. Because really, preseason, that's what it was for me. I wasn't playing against all pros. I mean, I was getting my time as a third stringer trying to crack the team. I was playing against some of the best players in college. I'd already done that in the Shrine and in the Senior Bowl. Now it was just on the pro field. And so I, I calmed down. I settled into it. And sure enough, it slowed down. And I'm like, all right, I can belong. I belong here. This is what I want to do. And this is just football. Like, I just got to keep pushing myself and, and working hard and trusting the guys around me. And, uh, you know, my leadership style was such that the guys around me, they, they, they wanted to work hard for me. They wanted to do their best and uh you know from then on it just i got away i got to start halfway through the season and uh i didn't i didn't look back man it was like am i gonna doubt that i'm here or i'm just gonna have confidence that i'm here and uh i had confidence and like the guys around me supported that that's so awesome man you know i um there was an interview i had done jake that was with brad johnson who who was a quarterback in the league and ended up winning the super bowl with the bucks at one point yeah. but I, when I interviewed him, I asked him about, from a quarterback's perspective, one of the plays in the playbook that he can remember. Because I remember there was like this ESPN documentary or short that like Michael Vick and then Peyton Manning even were talking about the differences between a college playbook and that of an NFL playbook. And like Peyton Manning rambled off this like play, literally took like, in my opinion, like 17 seconds to ramble off the play. I was like, how do you remember that? And, like, and they were talking about how Matt Hasselback used to read his playbook to his daughter to like learn it in camp and stuff because he wasn't used to the terminology. Um, do you remember any of the plays like from early on in your career? Is, is there one that you can like recite for us so the, the listeners can hear what how difficult it is to be a quarterback? Yeah, you know, there's there's a lot of the plays that I don't remember. I mean, I was I was one that had to relearn the playbook almost every year. Uh, football it wasn't something that I, that just clicked with me. It was something I had to, to study and work hard at. But there was a few plays. I mean, I remember, you know, some pretty wordy ones that would weren't that wordy. But once you started putting in shifts and motions and tagging other routes, you know, it could get kind of crazy. But I know that one was like, uh, you know, like a zip trip, double wing right, 76, flanker drive, X comeback. I mean, that's not that long, but it got a lot of words in it and you're trying to recite that and so for me I was just constantly going over and over and over the plays I would draw them out every night Tuesday when I get the game plan Wednesday would just spend a lot of time drawing the plays out um, but yeah you know I think the game is interesting is like it's hard enough to go compete and then they haven't quite come up with a with codes or simple 
one words that mean the play. And, and you know, some of that in the, in the West Coast was like that. Like it was really simple. You could just call flank or drive and be in whatever formation you could be in. And everybody knew their job because it was a concept. It wasn't a specific play designed for one player. It was just a concept. It was these guys run these routes, whether you're the X, the Z, the halfback, the Y, whatever it is, formationally, we're going to put you at any of these spots. So you need to know what spot correlates to the route. And it was beautiful when, when we were running, running it in Denver, uh, we were, we were killing fools. And then even in, in 98, when, when we made it to the playoffs with the Cardinals for the first time in 15 years, and then we beat the Dallas Cowboys, which was their first playoff victory in 50 years. I mean, like I didn't win a Super Bowl, but I, I, I kind of relate and actually say that like that year in 98 was almost like the Cardinals winning a Super Bowl because they're still in Arizona because of that year. The vote passed for that stadium. Our team was very uh, loved. The cardiac cards we played in fine style. And so that was that 98 year that halfway through the year, Mark Tresman started going no huddle running the West coast and we were killing fools. I mean, I was calling plays at the line of scrimmage and the defense would hear it and they still could not react. And we were snapping the ball with like 18 seconds left on the play clock. And it was insane, man. That second half of that year, I threw for a close to 2,500 yards in eight games, you know, like <laughs> we were moving, you know, and then like some organizations don't know how to handle success. You know, we let go of a lot of real key players that after that, that season signed me to a huge contract. I got hurt in the preseason and we had a really horrible 99, but um, yeah, that West coast offense, there were some pretty wordy calls in it, but it really wasn't sometimes the wordy call of one play. It was the play that we would get to if it didn't, we didn't get the right look. So you had to have sometimes two plays in your head and know which one to get to according to the, the look you're going to get. So it, it was complicated, man. Like I said, football was always a learning experience for me. I don't have a photographic memory. And so it took a lot of effort and time for me to like get to the level I got and uh, to be also able to tell <laughs> numerous young guys like, no, 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 you're over here. And as they're running by, they're like, what do I got? And like, you got a quarter route. Like, good God, I got to know what you got to do too. So Quarterbacks got to know a lot. Um, you know, that's one of the businesses I got involved in was Ready List, Ready List Sports, Ready List Pro. Um, it's a digital playbook that is designed to learn the nomenclature so you don't have to go through and learn all those words and then also learn where you got to go. And it uses multiple learning styles to get kids prepared to play the game. And it's good for the pros all the way down to five on five flag football. So, you know, Ready List. Ready list, you can check it out online, ready list playbook. And uh, if any coaches out there need help, you know, that's what we got that thing for. But it's, uh, you know, the game hasn't changed much. It's still difficult for a lot of these guys in the league to, to memorize a new playbook or, or learn new words that all are saying the same thing. You know, go down and take a right at 10 yards. <laughs> that can be an out route. It can be called a flare. It can be called a bench. It can be called all these words, but it is the same thing, you know. So it's just learning that language. So interesting, man. It, and you want to know what's funny? I know exactly where I was watching the playoff game. against. I'm a Cowboys fan. So yeah. <laughs> I remember I was at my grandmother's house watching the game with my uncle and his best friend. And we may or may not have been a little bit frustrated with y'all. Um, yeah, yeah well, I know it's, I, funny. it's funny because we beat Nebraska. Beat them nineteen to zero, and they hadn't been they haven't been the same since, you know. And then we we beat the Cowboys after that dynasty with Aikman and Irvin and Smith, 
and they haven't been the same since. So I don't know what it is, man. We took down a couple big powerhouses, and it really those were the only two really big years I had, ASU 96 and Cardinals 98, and then Denver was, you know, it was successful. We were in the playoffs three of the four years I was there, and uh, damn near made it to the Super Bowl in 05. So had some fun, man. Yeah, you definitely did. I, I want to ask you, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, athletes, male, female, whomever, when you're playing a, a sport where you have a coach, sometimes there's going to be disagreements. And you mentioned even in Arizona, like, for sorry, for Arizona State, you had multiple quarterback coaches, which it's not necessarily disagreements. It's just that you're learning new coaching styles here and there. It's always changing. And then in the NFL, you're going to go through ups and downs. Coach, you're not always going to agree. Uh, but I want to ask you if you have any advice for, you know, younger athletes on how you can deal with that still, like, you might not necessarily agree with your coach. It's like you might not necessarily agree with your boss at work in the corporate world, right? But how did you go about still performing at a high level and, and coming in ready to compete, even if you don't agree with the coach or the philosophy being mentioned, I guess? Yeah, I mean, I always kind of – I was one to to buy in. You know, it wasn't, hey, this is my thing. It was more like you're the coach, I'm the player. Bruce Schneider was really strong about that. Players play, coaches coach, trainers train, <laughs> bus drivers drive the bus. Sit, do your job, know your role, know your place, like don't question authority. Um, and that's really the, you know, sometimes that's the, the bad part of football is that it's like get in line, soldier, you know, and like this ain't war, this isn't life or death, but it has, there has to be an order like that or else, you know, you can say that, that that's where there's a cancer in the locker room or there's a disagreement that can, that can cause ripples across the team. So as the leader and as the quarterback, I always was like, I always got along with my coaches pretty much. I mean, I always was right there. If there was a disagreement or something they did, did that I didn't like, then we would talk about it behind closed doors. Um, but if you're always doing your best and you're working hard and, and, and you know in your heart of hearts that you're doing exactly what they're putting down, then, you know, when there is a disagreement, you're, you know, you actually have a way to be heard and be listened to instead of being lazy or half-assed or showing up late or just not really being into it. You know, they're not going to listen to you if you have something that's pertinent. So I was always able to just kind of roll and get along. Um, later on in my career, I realized like, hey, these days are, 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 are limited and I want to win a Super Bowl. So I was a little more vocal about what I needed and what I wanted to have, you know, for, for me to be successful. Yet I was along with I was with uh, people like Shanahan that knew how to do it. And he was bringing in the right people. And he he didn't need me to say that. But, um, you know, we had some disagreements <laughs> and like, like I said, you know, you, you handle it behind closed doors and let them know because, you know, at, at some point you got to understand you're professional and I was a professional quarterback. I was going to be kept and the coaches could be fired. You know, when you're a QB in the NFL, you're pretty much number two behind the owner and then it's the quarterback and then it's the head coach because they will fire coaching staffs and keep the quarterback. I mean, here in Bronco country, you know, Russell Wilson stayed, but they brought in a whole new coaching staff. So understand where you stand and the power you hold, but don't, don't, you know, abuse that. Right. You know, make sure you are respectful of it. And, uh, you know, I feel like whatever you give, you're going to receive. And what I gave was always 100% effort and love and care for my teammates. And that all came back to me. And even more so now post career, I'm getting so much uh, love and respect back that it's like, you know, Carrying yourself right as an athlete and as a human is really important, and especially for young kids to know, you know, going to college now is a chance to make money, make millions of dollars. Um, once you make that money, are you still motivated? <laughs> you know, where's your motivation lie? Is it, is it 
is it to make it to the league to make money or is it to make the league to pursue a dream of a Super Bowl and to want to be one of the best and money can get in the way and money can can you know cloud your <laughs> your decision making and maybe sometimes take you away from what it was that got you there uh, and you forget that it took a lot of work it took a lot of help from others and uh, you know money can be an interesting situation that's why I don't I don't like the money thing in the college I don't believe they should be paid think they should be you know there should be a set set aside amount of money for them once they are done with their career or maybe they graduate that they can go get later on when they're done but not being paid right away because that can kind of sometimes stunt your motivation you know you got money you can now go do this and that and you get distracted and you can now go to those concerts or fly to that place and you know what got you to that spot to get that money was hard work now how do you balance that? That's really the, the challenge these young athletes face now. Yo, that's crazy. You just checked off one of my questions I had for you by answering that question without even <laughs> having me ask. So, you know, as we get to the tail end of the interview, I I want to I want to wrap up like your professional career by asking you just these. It's a one question, two piece answer, and then I want to talk about your business cool. um, as well. But as as you look at your NFL career, I want to know who the the best player you ever faced, like an opponent, and then the best player you played with, and just tell me why. I want to know Ooh, why, man. for listeners. <laughs> That's a really hard question, but um, you know, when when you get to play against the Cowboys and there's a, a prime time number twenty one is lined up out there on your receivers, you know, I mean, he wasn't he wasn't the 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 probably the most all around force that you had to reckon with, different from like a Junior Seau or a Ray Lewis. Um, where you had to make sure someone was blocking them and they were so influential in the game. But what he did as like Dion being basically the best cover corner to ever play the game, um, that was a lot of fun for me because we'd have game plans to stay away from him. Go to the left. Yeah, I remember that. Like, I don't even think you threw it. There is the Cardinals. You guys didn't throw it his way once, I think. He kept switching around and you guys would throw it to the opposite side every time. Yeah, man. I think I think if you watch the film, you'll see I did throw it his way some because I was not going to – I was not going to shy away from that. I mean, I'm in the league and I'm playing against one of the best in the world. And if I can complete a ball on him, you know, that makes me feel pretty good about where I stand in my own vision of who I am in my career. But I didn't go after him, but there were times I threw it towards him. I mean, we're all playing the game. It's unfair to not let someone shine in their, their greatness also. And so he was definitely one that like, yeah, playing against him was amazing. Um, I mentioned Junior Seau and Ray Lewis. John Randall, some guys that were just like, damn, they were just, they made noise. They were crazy and they played hard. I, I guess I could probably say Ray Lewis was really the most fun to play against him and junior because they played hard. They talked a lot of shit, but they were like respectful. If you, if you played hard back at them and you didn't cower away from that, instead I would meet that with my own might, whether it was mustered up through, <laughs> through the pain and the, the, the hardness, the hard, you know, hard challenge it was to face those guys. But it was like, yeah, I'm here on the field. I'm with one of the greatest ever, and I'm going to show him that I can handle this. And so that was a lot of fun playing against guys like that. Um, teammate wise, I had so many great teammates, but I must say that one of them was Aeneas Williams, probably one of the most phenomenal professional athletes I've ever been around his work ethic the way he approached the game, the way he he challenged himself, the way he was there for his teammates. I mean, he was he was a phenomenal teammate, phenomenal. Just watching him work, 
and getting to go against him every day, knowing that he wasn't going 70% because he was Aeneas Williams, that he was going 100% in practice, that made me better. That made Frank Sanders better, Rob Moore better, made every one of those guys that we had going either in practice, in camp, or even at the high schools in the summer when we work out. We one day stands out. We, we were throwing routes against the DBs, and it was me and like five receivers and a couple DBs showed up, one of them Aeneas. He covered every time he could. He never took a break. The receivers got tired and left, and he asked me, can you stay and throw me some balls, Jake? And I'm like, well, what do you want? He's like, just throw it as far as you can. I'm going to run them down. Okay. I threw as many as I could till I was like, yo, I'm tired. My arm's done. And he said, okay, cool. And as I was packing my bags up, I looked back and he's starting to run one tens. It's getting dark. Our receivers left 30 minutes ago and he's now stepping into running one tens after all of this. I'm like, holy smokes, this dude just worked his butt off to where he knew and was confident in himself that he was ready on game day. And he even challenged David Boston to a race. David Boston ran like in the four threes coming out of high, coming out of college. And we're all like, ah, whatever, Aeneas. And he's like, I'm not running you in the 40. I'm racing you in the 100. Because what Aeneas trained for was endurance and to be able to last that whole game and to be his best in the fourth quarter, not the first quarter. They ran the 100 and he smoked him. And it was like, what Aeneas isn't a four three forty guy, but it was here, man, and here in his heart. And he just like that dude was amazing, amazing teammate. Rod Smith again, an amazing teammate. Larry Sinner is one of the best I ever played with. Ronnie McKinnon, Al Wilson, John Lynch, um, some phenomenal players, man. That were just like you could count on them. Like I never doubted them ever once, not being in it and on it and ready to whether that's practice or whether that's a walkthrough, whether that's game time, those guys were always there, which was really nice. And, and uh, you know, I, I feel like I, I have that respect back from them as being one of their, their favorite teammates too. And that's just because we were infectious. We helped each other get through it and set the tone. And iron sharpens iron for sure, dude. It's just hearing that is like, wow. I can't wait to like, when this, when this interview posts, it's going to be, there's so many people who are going to listen to this and be like, Jane, I already know. I know the text messages are going to come through. Like, I remember these things. It's so cool. So, you know, one of the things I love, Jake, is watching athletes as they transition out, out of their careers and seeing what they do afterwards, you know. And I've always been intrigued with what you've got going on. And then obviously I, I've seen the most recent ventures that you talked about. But you already you talked about Ready List. You, you've um, been part of the medicinal marijuana stuff like CBD and hemp and, and yeah. whatnot. And then there's also functional mushrooms. And so I want to give this opportunity to you to kind of share with the audience what you're, what you're doing right now. Um, with functional mushrooms and, and and help them understand like how that helps the body and whatnot. Yeah, you know, it's been interesting where my where my life has gone post career, you know, retiring, moving out of Denver, living in North Idaho, Sandpoint, you know, on 48 acres just to decompress from from all that I did for 14 years, you know, the pros in college. Um, I needed some time away and then coming back to Colorado, struggling with my health, like having some surgeries and, and starting to doubt what the hell did I put my body through this for if I'm if I'm this beat up and I'm only you know I'm only like 36 years old 35 years old and 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 so then that's when you know the chance to work with hemp and educate people on the difference between you know marijuana THC and hemp and CBD that was a really big uh, exploration for myself and I was raised holistically my mom was always into the holistic medicine and, and, you know, definitely not giving me NyQuil at night, but giving me garlic and honey, you know, to fight a cold, you know, those kind of things and echinacea and 
you know, feeding me well and a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of vegetables and a lot of good food. So I'm, I'm grateful for her influence. And as I stepped into Charlotte's web, it was amazing to, to feel what it did for me first. That was the first thing I did was, well, let me take this. And if it helps, then I, I can speak on it. And, and it helped. It helped a lot with my, with the pain I was feeling, the headaches I was having and my just day-to-day function, sleeping better, resting better. Um, so that opened my eyes to like, wow, there's a lot out here that people don't know about. And my buddy, Dale Jolly, who I met with Charlotte's web just uh, right before the pandemic sent me some mushroom tinctures, some functional mushrooms. And again, it's an education process because talking hemp, everybody was like, Oh, we're here with pothead stoner, Jake Plummer, you know? And I'm like, well, let's re, uh, can you reintroduce me and talk about like, I'm not a pothead or a stoner. And even though I do like, uh, the medicinal value of marijuana and THC, I'm, I'm, I'm here to talk about what hemp is doing for these children with severe seizure disorders. Like this is, this isn't talking about staying in your basement, binge watching, you know, family ties and eating Cheetos. You know, this is about like, what is this plant here on earth for? Can it help us? And it was helping these kids. And it was these mothers that were fighting, fighting for the right to do this. And, uh, as a, football player with numerous other guys stepping up we had people listen they started listening and then they started researching and then they tried it and they went wow okay these guys are are onto something and i'm not the guy behind this i'm just a voice i'm a conduit for this this knowledge to just be uh something we remember not that i'm inventing or coming back to something new this is ancient it's been here forever and that's why I get to the, you know, the functional mushrooms, these things, this organism has been around forever. That's an entire kingdom in and of itself, the fung- fungal kingdom. And I call it a queendom because I believe it's kind of like a mother. It just knows what our bodies need. It helps us function at a different level. They're the most, some of the most powerful adaptogens on the planet. And adaptogens mean it helps us balance out anything that's out of whack, that's not right, that could be out of balance, that needs help. And somehow, some way, the knowledge and intelligence they have as an organism, it just really resonates and helps humans function better. And I'm a firm believer because it's helped me. Um, I don't have any inflammation anymore. My body does not ache. My mind is getting clearer day to day. I sleep much better. Um, I feel like I've almost slowed down the aging process because a lot of us are out of balance with the way we think, the way we speak, what we watch, how we carry on day to day, and then the constant drive to always be the best. It's stressful. There's anxiety. There's all these dis-ease that we create ourselves and sitting back and being on, um, you know, using functional mushrooms. And I have to say also going on some spiritual journeys with other plant medicines and, and nature's medicine has opened my mind up to like everything around us and the beauty of it and the balance that's there that mother earth provides. And, uh, you know, it's been a really, really awesome exploration into, can I slow the aging process down? Can I not be another statistic for the NFL to talk about, oh, post-career, you're going to have TBI. You had TBI. You're going to have, guess what? Look forward to having CTE. You better file for disability. We're going to deny you and deny you and deny you until you can prove to us that you can't get out of a chair. Like, fuck that, man. No, no, that's not the narrative that I'm following. Why? Because I've watched myself use this and my heart and gather with guys and do amazing things like be the best in the world. I was the best in the world. One of the best in the entire world at what I did. Why? Because I set my mind to that. So these guys that 
are done with the game. I'm, I'm hoping they turn to something that is provided by Mother Earth that is helping me. Now, will it help everybody? I can't make that claim, but it won't hurt to try. And so starting Umbo, our functional mushroom company, really was more centered around a cause, not around, oh, let's profit from this organism that's been here since who knows when, you know. Uh, let's let's instead let's center it around a cause to help people heal and face their day-to-day functionality in a different way and optimize this little short time span we have on earth to be the best we can be and live better and treat each other more kind and be cognizant of the damage we're doing to mother earth which is all we really have to lean on and so it's been a great journey i've met a lot of amazing people more people are starting to be curious and like hey wait Jake, Jake was on this hemp thing with his teammates and guys way before now is so common. Maybe he isn't just some, you know, out of there, an esoteric spiritual dude. Like maybe he actually, this, maybe I should listen to this. And so people are starting to come to it and it's awesome to be driving this to open up people's awareness of what's out there. And through Umbo and the guys I'm partnered with, you know, Rashad Evans, a former UFC fighter, Hall of Famer is, is a partner in this who who is an amazing human also um you know we're just hoping to help people get be open to to make the change they need to 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 live better and uh it's an exciting journey it's led me to be able to become a mushroom farmer at michael love uh you know which is really cool so you know there's two companies i have that are trying to make positive change and uh, i'm just blessed to be uh, you know one person behind it just like i was on a team you know i was the quarterback I may have been driving the bus or had the keys or whatever you want to say, but I had to get the right people to follow me. And I'm getting, you know, people coming out of the woods that are, that are all thinking the same thing. And, you know, with, with that belief, I believe true change can happen. And uh, it's just fun to be a part of it, man. (laughs) Yo, that's so cool, man. I I love that. I appreciate the insight there. So for the listeners here, if you guys go to getumbo.com, if you guys are interested in, you know, purchasing, purchasing some of the products and maybe learning a little bit more about all the different types of the, the functional mushroom, the functional mushroom products that Jake and his team provide, uh, go, go to getumbo.com. I'll put it in the description here. Now, Jake, you did mention earlier a potential code. Um, can yeah. we use, utilize the code for those who are listening if they're interested in purchasing Definitely. a product? We'll go GTG10 for 10% off your, your, your order. So, you know, with Umbo, we provide capsules. If you like capsules, well, there's a Myco Rise that helps you get, get focused, get clarity, and have some energy with the use of the cordyceps mushroom, um, along with a few other compounds that are, are being shown to help slow the aging process down, like BioNMN, uh, you know, some good stuff. These are scientifically formulated by some, in, some people that know what they're doing. Not me. I just take it and benefit, but they've got the right people behind it. Um, and then the Myco Rest is something that helps with your sleep and your rest and helps you recover during that important time of, of rest to shut it off, to, to re to regroup, to replenish, to let your nervous system calm down. And we use reishi and lion's mane in that formula, um, which are two more functional mushrooms. Again, non-psychedelic, fully legal, sold in stores that you know. Um, so it's, it's, it's again, it's again, educating the difference. So people know that these are not psychedelic hallucinogenic mushrooms that'll send you on a journey. Although there's a lot of healing being done with the use of psilocybin to help treat alcoholism, to help treat 
um, you know, depression that isn't being helped with the medicine and the doctors that are there, anxiety. I mean, there's a whole slew of, of disease that, that the mushrooms are helping with. Um, so yeah, get umbo. We have bars that are really good, uh, nutritional bars, and then also some tinctures. And then uh, michaellove.farm is also the farm where we also sell tinctures. Um, and they have, uh, you know, we grow the mushrooms and extract them here in, in Colorado. And we're trying to become a good supply of a domestic product for other people that want to maybe start their own company or white label it or whatever it is. And so, you know, the, I'm following the mycelial path, man, the, the, the connections you, that you make and the, the mushrooms are just there to lead me and teach me and, uh, you know, continue to follow, you know, what intuitively and instinctively comes my way, uh, again, just to help do good in this world. And uh, I think it's our responsibility as humans to to do what we can, not only to help the earth and help the world, but first help ourselves to love ourselves, to speak kind about ourselves and to do what we know is best for us while we're here on this, in this short little time period. Yeah, this has been amazing, Jake. I, I'm seriously so stoked about all of this. So I'll, I'll remind everybody who's listening, make sure to check out the description here. I'll put it there, getumbo.com. We'll put the GTG10 coupon code if you guys want 10% off. I'm going to check it out myself. Uh, and then one last note that you mentioned multiple times, you even mentioned your mom again. You know, she was always, you know, helping out holistically with the medicines and stuff. You know what, guys? Listen to your moms. If, if, if you're blessed <laughs> enough to have one around, and I, and I want to, I mean that seriously, if you're blessed enough to have, you know, your parents with you or a good mentor around, you know, a guardian with you, maybe, maybe take some advice from them. Maybe, maybe see how they're doing because they probably know more than you. And it sounds like that's been a huge influence for you in your life, Jake, from the beginning all the way through now. And yes. uh, it's actually just really cool, something to note. But just want to say thanks again, man. Thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule to, to join me and, and, and share your knowledge with us. And uh, I look forward to following the rest of your journey, man. Thank you so much. Hey, Shane. Thank you, man. I appreciate you reaching out. And you're there in Idaho, man. That's a dear, near and dear place to me. That's my home state. And uh, I appreciate the opportunity to share my, share my journey, man. Keep doing the good work. Appreciate you, brother. And for all those who are listening, if you guys enjoyed it, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you thought of Jake's story. And we'll be coming to you next week with another interview. Take care. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars and leave me a review. It would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your support.